find what's important to you, and then use that passion to drive everything that you do in life. And I, I think that's one of the big things that Fuel promotes is this is not just a job, and these are not just employees. These are people that are important to us. I'm Adam Polka. And I'm Bill Denby. Together, we'll be talking to supply chain experts from around the world who are tackling challenges in their corner of the industry. We believe that people are the change makers that drive innovation. That's why this supply chain podcast is about learning from those who lead by example. We hope that the conversations you hear will inspire you to drive change within your own organization. This is the Great Supply Chain Podcast. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Great Supply Chain Podcast. Uh, We're back here with Ron McIntyre. Ron McIntyre is a technology practitioner with over 30 years of experience uh, creating, breaking, tinkering, recreating, updating, migrating, breaking again, eating and breathing and living technology solutions. Uh, And as he uh, puts it from the mundane to the, uh, whoa, that's out there. Uh, As VP Technology and Innovation at Fuel Transport, uh, Ron is instrumental in guiding the company along their technology evolution journey to create a seamless global mobile technology experience uh, as the 3PL company evolves to accommodate this massive e-commerce shift. Uh, Completely self-taught technologist, Ron has experienced and helped guide for his employers uh, technology's rapid growth and change. So from his experience uh, entering data on a punch tape computer to today's reality where his watch is more powerful than the first server he ever installed, uh, we are here to welcome Ron McIntyre. Ron, great to have you. And first things first, tell us about your watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I recently upgraded to the latest Samsung watch, so (laughs) it is pretty powerful. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Adam. It's nice to be here. Absolutely. So listen, analysts at Gartner wrote recently, the global 3PL community is working hard to exceed customer expectations by working smarter and better leveraging their knowledge, assets, people, and technology. Ron, what does that mean to you? Well, it definitely resonates with me because um, I'm all about team enablement, employee enablement. So giving them tools to make them work uh, smarter, not harder. So it's definitely what Fuel is focusing on right now through our innovation side is looking at ways that we can enable our workforce, um, enable our carrier base, enable our customer base to work smarter, not harder with uh, better tools, better information, and to make better decisions. I think that's, uh, that's an interesting segue into, you know, can you just tell us a little bit about fuel transport, what, uh, you know, what you do and, and what your specialty is? Because uh, you do have a pretty uh, forward-thinking process here when it comes to how 3PL should engage with their customers, don't you? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, fuel likes to consider ourselves um, a customer centric company. And so, you know, in terms of our services, we offer, um, freight brokerage services across North America, Canada, U S and Mexico. Uh, we also have, we're asset based. We have our own fleet of trucks and tankers and trailers. And we also have, um, multiple warehouses that we're managing within the Montreal area. So we, we are on that side of the, 
of the spectrum in terms of offering ground transportation services and warehousing services. But in reality, Fuel likes to think of ourselves that, you know, what we do best is customer service and giving um, the best experience to our customers that we can possibly give them. And I know that uh, innovation is one of those key elements that you that, that uh, Fuel has. It's a part of the whole DNA of, 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 of the environment there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that part of the business, uh, the, the whole kind of differentiation in, and innovation that, you, uh, that you're uh, firm believers in? Well, we, we are definitely uh, firm believers in innovations. And that was one of the things that attracted me to Fuel was the fact that they want to focus on um, not just being a, a good um, freight partner or an LSP for their customers, but they want to start getting into being the cutting edge and offering technology solutions to their partners, to their customers, to their carrier base, and most importantly, to their internal uh, employee base. So that, you know, Adam, you spoke to it a little bit before about um, doing more. And our motto is basically we want to do more with less. And right. to leverage technology as much as we possibly can to make that happen. But at the same time, you know, a, a lot of people think, you know, digital transformation journeys are just about technology and they're not. It's, it's really about culture as much as it is about technology. And we're fostering this culture shift um, within our organization where we're focusing on innovation at all times and not only on technology. How can we innovate on our processes? How can we innovate on our employee and customer and carrier engagement? Um, so it's really about fostering this, this whole culture of doing things better and always looking for opportunities to do things better. It's interesting that you say that about uh, about the people piece of it, right? And and yeah, I alluded to that, uh, how all three elements are, are key. Uh, I, I'm curious from your perspective, what role does technology play uh, in, in terms of prioritization? What role does technology play uh, in the supply chain operations element of it? Well, it's increasing, definitely in terms of um, how we're using technology to do the tasks that, that uh, are necessary to move a shipment or to uh, store or ship product out of a warehouse. And, you know, that's been one of Fuel's focus is finding the best technology or building the best technology that we, we can possibly have at any point in time to make all these tasks easier and, I, you know, easier is, is, a, is an easy word to throw out there, but what, we, what we're trying to do is make our people work in such a way that they're not constantly doing this stop and start of manual processes, paper-based processes, uh, informational decisions that are working specifically with information that's resident in somebody's head when we've got the depth and breadth of data that's available to us and technology that's available to us that allows us to start making some of these decisions a lot smarter than what we were doing before. And, you know, our implementation of the Texas WMS is one of the reasons um, that we're looking at technology like Texas is because it does give us those capabilities to 
take the data that's within the system and have the system start making recommendations on how to do things and having instead of relying on people to make the recommendations on how to do things. Because we all know that a machine can make decisions a lot faster than a person can. Right. And, and let's weave in that extra level of complexity. Um, we're, we're seeing manufacturers, distributors and retailers all trying to act like each other uh, in, in what's been called you know, the great convergence. And they do seem to be leaning on their 3PL partners for many of the supply chain skills that they don't traditionally have themselves. So how are you seeing 3PLs responding to that challenge in this time of convergence? Well, we uh, at Fuel are, are responding in a positive manner. We, we embrace the challenge of doing that, and we're looking at various solutions to meet those needs for the various partners. And, you know, Adam, you're, you're right. It, it's not only just about the importer distributors or the retailers or the manufacturers. Every single one of our partners across each one of those um, silos is coming to us with different needs and different requirements, whether it's around increased data visibility or increased handling capabilities, or they're just saying, you know, we don't know what we're doing in terms of doing e-com. Can you do e-com for us? So it's, it's um, we are embracing it. I, I'm, I see that within the industry, most people are embracing it as well. But at the same time, there's this whole shift of, of who's now running a supply chain for somebody. And we're starting to see, and, and I think you've alluded to this as well, Bill, that now, you know, all these entities, whether it's shippers, importers, or, or retailers, are now looking at 3PLs to, to manage their supply chain, which is a complete reversal from what we were experiencing a few years ago, where everybody wanted to bring their supply chains in-house. But now the fact that the we have to look at um, an elastic supply chain to be able to deal with the uh, ability to scale up and scale up, scale down and scale sideways or look for different sources of products and all of a sudden pivot from importing from one location to importing to another location that a lot of these entities are saying, well, we just don't know what we're doing and they're relying on 3PL partners to provide that. So expertise. if you were going to give, I mean, obviously, we, you know, you, you are a 3PL, you work for 3PL, so, so we have to be a little careful, but if you were going to give your average 3PL advice about the key challenges they're facing during this kind of whole time of convergence, is that the key thing here is, is be elastic, be flexible, be dynamic? Is that the biggest challenge in this process or... Are there other areas that are really difficult? Well, I, I think the industry is experiencing some difficulty in the whole, and I'm one of these people that actually doesn't like the term digital transformation journey, but, you know, the, of embracing the fact that we do have to look at different ways of doing things. My first advice to anybody in the industry is look at your internal processes, look at your legacy software, and embark on an evaluation discovery journey to understand where you need to improve because if you don't improve you're going to be left behind yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're standing still you're being left behind um, and then the second point is um, yeah absolutely you have to embrace flexibility you can't you know be static in your capabilities and your ability to address 
the problems that are coming your way. I think, Adam, you, you talked a little bit about it too, or, or Bill, about the fact that it's getting harder and harder to um, attract human resources, that everybody's competing for these same resources out there. And whether it's on the technology side or the warehousing side or HR or administration or transport ops, everybody is fighting for a diminishing pool of available resources to be able to fulfill these jobs with expanding demand constantly happening. Um, so you, you also have to focus on how are you going to attract and retain re your resources to be able to fulfill those needs that your customer is giving you. And then finally, it's having the ability to be able to contract or expand rapidly without a focus on human capital because you just can't get that human capital quickly anymore. And let me jump in there because you mentioned talent and workforce. And I have to say, I, I know you're a big advocate of people and talent and facilitating that innovation and growth within the organization. And, and for those who are not already following Ron on LinkedIn, you absolutely should. Uh, there's never a shortage of positivity and collaboration and just great insights on on technology and and more importantly the people that make that tech, tech the people that make that technology work. So Ron, I'm curious how do you how do you motivate your various teams? You know, all the way from the warehouse staff to the C level. What's what ingredients do you use to keep your employees happy and fulfilled in their jobs? Well, first of all, thank you for the compliments. Uh, I think they're undeserved, but thank you. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm not doing anything different that many of the leaders at, at Texas do or any of the other forward-thinking companies um, out there do. And, and that's about um, enablement. And I make sure that, you know, my... My first priority when I walk in every day is making sure that my team, my ownership, the company, every single employee within this organization is set up to succeed. If, if people in the organization are not succeeding, I'm failing at my job. So that's really what I focus on is how do I position each member in that chain that I spoke about, whether it's my actual uh, technology team, the greater team of fuel transport, the fuel ownership team, how do I position them so that we can succeed in everything that we're doing? And what do they need to accomplish that? Sometimes it's being a cheerleader. Sometimes it's, you know, providing capabilities or technology or applications. Um, other times it's just listening when they're talking through a problem and trying to come up with a solution. And I'm a firm believer in active listening as well. So I'm, Adam, I'm not doing anything special. I'm not doing anything uh, extraordinary. Um, I'm just trying to, to set up my team to succeed. Taking a bit of a detour, one of the things that we've seen when it comes to kind of future and we're talking longer longer term future are things like uh team driving that's you know autonomous secondary vehicles where the front vehicle is driven by a driver and the second vehicle follows or a lot more robotics being brought into the warehouse those kind of technologies all in a, in a goal to try and reduce your reliance on adding more labor uh because you can't get that labor 
Um, we see that in Europe a lot, where where automation is is really uh, taking off because of the cost of labor. Ron, do you do you think that we're still a ways off in North America from seeing that trend, or are you starting to see the jaggy edges of that? Because traditionally, North America has fallen behind because the cost of labor was so much less, right? Uh, agreed, but I think we're starting to see the transition towards um, the European model. Um, especially around the warehousing and the automation in the warehousing. Um, there's um, a large Canadian uh, grocery chain that is opening up um, e- e-commerce fulfillment centers, and they've partnered with uh, one of these British uh, warehouse robotic firms to um, actually provision their warehouses with the same type of robotics that are being used for the major food chains in in uh, Europe. And you look at some of these warehouses in Europe, uh, England, uh, the Netherlands, and you marvel at their capabilities to fulfill these e-commerce orders and so quickly and so accurately. Um, so I, I think it's here. And I think that truthfully, that's probably where it's going to come from first is going to be on the uh, grocery side. And then after that, then it's going to trickle down into the other types of fulfillment. Another kind of tangent here is uh, from a 3PL perspective, we're hearing in the marketplace a lot of bigger companies, particularly are talking about agility in their supply chain, the need to become more agile, the need to become more reactive. And because of that, there's an increasing trend towards reshoring, nearshoring, all of those kind of things. And fuel being based in, in you know, not quite America, but just on the edge of it. Um, I'm wondering, are you starting to see any of that kind of impact where uh, uh, organizations are bringing their supply chains in a little bit to be, to be more able to respond rapidly to uh, changes in demand or you know, remove some of the fragility and an extension of their supply chain? Yeah, definitely. It's it's driving a portion of what we've seen in terms of uh, business increases over the, the past uh, year and a half has been that shift to have a much more resilient supply chain. And um, I think you're, you're also seeing in, in terms of how companies are reacting to that is before a lot of companies were very static in how they were building up their supply chain. So they would, you know, contract with a specific um, manufacturer or uh, wholesaler or, or grower, and then contract for the transportation from grower A to distribution center B. Now, because of the need for an elastic supply chain and have that ability to swiftly shift your supplier base or where it's coming from, or even on the fulfillment side of where you're actually going to send the goods to get it fulfilled with now more and more uh, LSPs getting into the supply chain of major retailers, that the contract portion of it is sort of going away. And while it's still pertinent, it's also increasing um, the agility for these importers, distributors, uh, shippers, retailers 
do not have bound by everything by contract so that they can ship things quite easily. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting. So, uh, Bill, maybe six months ago, um, I, I had asked you about reshoring and nearshoring. And uh, I recall you said that you weren't sure if the consumer would be ready to fund in price increases and reductions in convenience to to really fund to a significant degree a change in reshoring. Um, has has the last few months changed your perspective, or do you still hold that one? I don't know. I I, I think the organizations that are doing this uh, are doing it and absorbing the additional cost. But I think by using an organization like like Ron's organization, they're able to offset some of that cost because I think there's a lot of challenge in uh, making a supply chain more resilient and then passing that cost on to the consumer. And I, I think that that is a balance, that the balancing act that we're going through. Um, not sure about how prices or the consumer price index is going, but certainly in, uh, in the UK and in Europe, prices have gone up post-COVID across the board. And a lot of that is based upon the additional cost of supply chain. Um, a lot of that is based upon the the, the increased demand for th- for certain things that uh, uh, you know are now much more difficult to source or have to go through many more stop points along the way. So while I'm still not sure if this is a long term trend, I think in the short term we are seeing that. But I think again, as I said, I mentioned earlier about. 3PL being the point of the spear, I think that a lot of these organizations that are challenged with that price going up may look at 3PLs who can perhaps find ways of shaving by being more efficient, by, by being more accurate, by being et cetera, et cetera. They may start offsetting some of that work to, to the 3PL to allow them that more resiliency, more flexibility, but at the same time, not take a huge hit in the, uh, in the cost of goods sold. Yeah, and, and you know, you're right on everything that you, that you talked about, Bill. And, you know, what's also interesting is that part of the, the reason that we're seeing the uh, shift towards nearshoring or domestic buying is also the fact that, you know, the, the capacity on ocean lanes um, isn't there. The price for uh, shipping a container across an ocean from Asia has increased exponentially. Uh, people are now looking at, you know, sea air bridges to get goods uh, to market faster. So a product that previously was not economical to source domestically or nearshore, now all of a sudden the gap has narrowed. And so if you've got the flexibility of doing domestic or nearshore that you don't have with the lead times to source from uh, Asia, for example, then all of a sudden these decisions become a lot more palatable. And then, if, of course, all that domestic sourcing is, especially in North America for us, because we're not yet in Europe, but sourcing in North America domestically is also fueling uh, the demands on LSPs in North America. That's a great point. I guess the, the theme that I'm hearing from uh, from you, Ron, over and over again, and I think I think we've talked about it in the past, uh, but it's this balance between uh, horsepower and brain power that you used to just be able to throw more muscle at something and you know what, you'd, you'd get through it, the margins will protect you, you're okay. But in today's market, we, we, can't, we can't be that brawny. We have to use a little bit of brain as well. 
Yeah, and I, I agree. And, you know, um, it's, I, I think there, there's three reasons why it's driving that. Uh, first and foremost is the fact that uh, with the um, rate of increase of demand placed on LSPs, you definitely have to have the technologies to support that. The fact that uh, human capital is in short supply is also impacting that because you can't, you can't throw bodies at problems anymore. You have to throw your brains at the problems to be able to do right. it. Um, and, and I think the, the third aspect is really around how our workforce has evolved and a focus on remote capabilities, um, the ability to work from anywhere at any time on any device is now paramount. And if you're trying to attract talent and you're no longer working with that type of mentality, it's gonna be even harder to attract talent than it was previously. So labor shortages, demands from the industry and demands from um, people on their supply chain. And also our workforce is expecting um, different capabilities than what they were used to previously. What does it mean, Ron, to find your fuel? So for us, find your fuel is find your passion, find what's important to you, and then use that passion to drive everything that you do in life. And I, I think that's one of the big things that fuel promotes is this is not just a job and these are not just employees. These are people that are important to us and we're trying to create a culture that fosters all of that about finding your passion and becoming the best version that you possibly can of who you are and helping people along on that journey. So finding your fuel is about finding your passion. Ron, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. No, thank you, Adam and Bill. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to, uh, to chat with you. And, uh, you know, I always enjoy speaking to you, whether it's at the user conferences or uh, by phone. So thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for sharing your insights. Yeah, Ron, thank you very much. That was, uh, that was really good stuff, as, you, as always. Thank My you. Pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. Thanks for joining us. We hope that our guests have sparked some new ideas for you and inspire you to push the boundaries for your supply chain operation. New podcasts will be published on the first of every month. And in the meantime, please reach out. We want to know your thoughts about our guests, the topics we covered, and any ideas you might have for future episodes. You can email us at texaspodcast at texas.com. Let us know if you'd be willing to join us and perhaps share your perspective as supply chain experts. And please share us with a colleague and leave us a review. We appreciate your feedback as we continue to evolve the show and line up new compelling interviews. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as a new episode goes live. Until then, this has been the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Adam Polka with Texas. And I'm Bill Denby. And thank you for tuning in.